and we're starting a new series, if you didn't know, called Everyday Essentials. Um, and here's, here's kind of the big idea behind the series. Uh, at the resurrection of Jesus, uh, we get, because of His work, a new life. So, what Jesus did on our behalf, He died for our sins in our place to forgive us and cleanse us of the life that we should have lived but don't live. And then He rise from the dead by the power of God to give us the ability to live a new life. And I think oftentimes when we think about this new life, we're, we're, it's given to us because of the work of Jesus, but we don't know how to live out of it. You know what I mean by that? So it's like we're given the keys to like the most amazing car that's ever been created, and we take those keys and we look at the car and we go, I don't really know how to drive it. And so we don't. Or, or we, we drive it the way that we think it should be driven, and maybe we don't kind of experience the full potential of what it actually has for us. And so we thought, what if we actually did a series on some of the everyday essentials necessary for us to start to actually build our foundation on Jesus as the center of our world? Because there are certain things and skills and whatever that, that we should really understand how to live out of and practice in an everyday level uh, and if we don't actually understand how to do that, we won't understand how to live out the life that Jesus saved us to live. And I think that's a shame. And I think oftentimes the church misses out on that life because we don't understand maybe how to live it out. But Jesus, when He rose from the dead, He came to His disciples and He said, go and, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in their new identity, Father, Son, and Spirit immerse them in, in what I've done for them, that they're my children, that they're my, 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 my learn, learning ones. I get, they get to learn from me, and they get the power of the Holy Spirit to live a new life. And then he says, and then teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. So don't just teach them about the life that I've given them. Teach them how to live out of that new life. And so the question I would have for all of us this morning is, do we know how to live out that new life according to what God has done for us? That's really what this whole series is about. And we're going to start off today by talking about one of the most crucial elements, which is the Bible itself. God's Word that's been written for us and given to us for the sake of being able to listen to Him as His people and hear actually what He has to say to us. Let me, let me just ask this. As maybe we can dialogue on the front end of this. Why do you think that's important for us? Why should we know how to do that? Yeah. Okay, yeah, we can't right, we can't mature into what Christ would want if we don't know what he wants for us, right? It's hard to do that, right? It's like it's like having a dad that has all these plans for you, but you never hear from your dad because you never engage what your father has to say. How would you know what your dad's intention for you is if you don't spend time actually listening to his voice, right? We miss out if we don't. What else? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so now um, if we're in Christ and we've come to know Him, it gives us the ability to understand what that life is about. It gives us the ability to interpret like maybe trials and struggles that come our way as a product of this new life. Oftentimes I think that uh, we come to, to faith because we see that how amazing it is what Jesus did for us, but oftentimes we think that life is going to now get easier. And um, that, that now that because we, we're living life along with God, we get His power, which is all true. But we think sometimes that that means that God will now remove obstacles from our path in our life. And it turns out that we, then the first time that we start to stumble over those obstacles that happen when we're living life with Christ, we go, what gives? What's happening? And if we haven't read our Bibles, we wouldn't, actually understand that Jesus promised that we would have trials. That's the whole reason that we need Him, right? So if we don't understand that, if we haven't read that in our Bibles and heard God speak that to us, it's going to be very difficult for us to live the life that He intended for us to live. Anything else you're thinking of? What are some, let me just say, what are some of the obstacles that keep us from maybe listening or experiencing God's Word on a daily level? Okay, our own busyness. So we, don't, we think we don't have time for it. Good. What else? What's that? Our ego. None of, nobody in this room, right? 
Those other people at that other church. Right? <laughs> now, what do you mean by ego? I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so like, just the, the mentality that we don't need to hear from God. Like, I, I can live my life today well enough without having to hear from Him or, or maybe humble myself and hear what He has to say. We may not think that with our mind, but if we're living that way with our actions, we're actually believing that in our heart. We just don't realize that we're believing it. Or I say, yeah, it's challenging to us, right? We go, oh, like every time I open up my Bible, God does say something to me, and which oftentimes cuts my heart in a way that I don't like it to cut. Um, or maybe I don't understand what he's saying, and so it challenges me in that way, and I I don't really want to take the time to understand it or to know it better. So I just, it's much easier if I just let it kind of sit on the shelf than if I open it up, right? Good. I saw some more over here. Yeah. Okay. Right. If I, yeah, it's like if, if you know someone is in authority over you, like at your job, and you're going about your day and you know, like, if I pick up the phone and call my boss, he's going to tell me what to do. And that's going to change what I have to do, and I'm giving control over to him, so I don't want to do that. Do you ever do that at work? You're like, I'm just going to keep my head down and keep plunking away at the thing, because if I lift my head and somebody catches me like eye to eye, they'll go, oh no, now he's going to tell me what to do. It's going to completely wreck my day. And sometimes we think about that in terms of the Bible, don't we? If I, if, if I hand control over to him, which is, he's in control anyway, let's just be honest about that. But if I hand control over to him by actually reading his word, he's going to direct me in a way that I may be uncomfortable with. And it's just handing control over to him, isn't it? We need to do that, though. We're going to talk about why that is. Yeah, yeah. So we let other things maybe crowd our priority and, uh, and, and take away our attention from it. I mean, keep those things in mind as just as we're going through this because uh, we, if we're God's people, then we get to hear from the God who actually made it possible for us to listen to Him. And so we, as God's people, should really make it a priority to listen to Him because there are a number of ways and means that God uses to speak to us. And we're actually going to talk about a number of those over the course of the series. But the primary way that He reveals both Himself to us and His intention for us is through His Word. It's the way that God does it. So it's like if you had access to the Creator of the universe and what He wants you to know about Himself and the way that we get to live because of Jesus, and it were all written somewhere for you to understand, you would want to go to that source regularly. Would you not? Here it is. Here it is. It's amazing, isn't it? That we have access to that. So as God's redeemed people, we should both know why the Bible is vital for our daily lives, but we should also know how to actively listen to what God is saying to us through it. So do you know how to study it in such a way that you can actually discern what God is saying to you specifically? If not, then that's what we're doing this morning, is talking about that. And also, since we're to be people who are being matured and, and helping others to mature, think through this from the standpoint of not just what do I need to know in order to study maybe God's Word better for myself? But how would I teach this to other people as well? How would I train up and help someone in my Cultivate community or in my neighborhood who maybe caught me reading the Bible and said, hey, you know, said something about the Word and how to read it. And, and you get to help them along in it. Or your kids or your spouse or whoever it might be. We're always in an opportunity to teach someone else. So how would I do that? And there's really two things that we need to understand when it comes to uh, being able to listen to God's Word. We need to understand what our posture should be and what our practice should be. Our posture and our practice. Isn't it nice that the, both of those are P words? makes it easy for me to remember. Hopefully for you too. So our, first we're going to talk about our posture. What should our posture be when we actually come to God's Word and open it and read what He has for us? Well, there's a couple things that we need to know. First, uh, in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, Peter says this, 
Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origins in in human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So what Peter is saying is, God was actually guiding and leading what was written down through the Holy Spirit for us. Isn't that amazing? So we don't have to wonder, like, well, what if this is... It isn't all there is. Like, what if there's other stuff out there that should have been written down? Or what if the things that are in here really shouldn't have been here? Now, there's a whole process to talk about the history of all of that. But it's good for us to know that God was actually inspiring not just what was written down, but the process by which it was written down. Therefore, we can have confidence in it. And Hebrews 4 uh, says this about it, For the Word of God is alive and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword, it penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of Him to whom we must give an account. So those things together are telling us that God gave us His Word by His Spirit so that when we open it and read it, God can actually speak to us. It's living and active. It it has meaning for our lives at this moment for today. But also, you need to know this, that actually through God's Word, He can actually get to what's going on in your heart. He actually can reveal to you what you believe or what you don't believe about Him. What's in line with that belief and what isn't in line with it. And so what, here's, here's essentially what our posture should be when we approach it. We don't come to God's Word and sit over it in terms of authority as if we are kind of judging it. What we think of it and what it has for us. Or maybe oftentimes what we think is interesting to us. Do you ever do that? Like you'll open it and you go, well, that's not very interesting. That's not very interesting. That's not really interesting. Oh, this one. Now, that's really interesting to me. But we do that, right? Which is really us judging what God has to say to us. It's us sitting over it in terms of authority. That should not be our posture when it comes to the Bible. What our posture should be is that we sit under God's Word as authority to us. It's His Word. It's His authority. It's His way of speaking into our lives. And so what that looks like in terms of it being our authority is that it'll change the way that we read it, hopefully. Rather than us sitting in terms of being authority over it and judging what it says and saying, well, I don't really agree or like with what that says. But I like what this says, and so I'll concentrate on this portion of it. It would change the way that we read it. And we would read it far more like what Isaiah says in terms of understanding God's Word. He says this in in Isaiah 66. This is the Lord speaking. Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Now there's a good picture of God, right? Think of the, the, the heavens as being the place where God is enthroned over authority of everything. And the earth, everything that we experience here, is just His footstool. It's just the place where He rests His feet. I mean, what a huge picture of who God is. So he says, where is the house you will build for me? Where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? And so they came into being, declares the Lord. These are the ones that I will look on with favor. In other words, this is what it looks like to to hear from me correctly. He says, those who are humble and contrite in spirit and who tremble at my word. When's the last time you trembled? at God's Word? When's the last time you opened it and read something from Him and it shook you to the core and you thought, I cannot be the same today because of what God has said? When's the last time you approached it with the picture in your mind of sitting on God's footstool and hearing from the King of Heaven Himself? And what He has to say to you, His son and servant, His daughter and beloved one. It's amazing, right? 
That should really change the way that we understand what it looks like when we come to God and hear Him speak. When we open it, we should ask, God, would you, would you speak to me through your Spirit? Would you make known what you want me to know about yourself and about me? I mean, Hebrews says, in fact, we're naked before Him. He knows our hearts anyway. He sees us and He wants to speak to us. And so oftentimes I think we, we kind of put a whole lot of pressure on ourselves in terms of where to start. Do you ever like go to study the Bible and you're like, I don't even know where to start. So, and because we, like, like, should I be in one of the Gospels? Should it be in the New Testament, in the Old Testament? Should I start at the beginning? And we put so much pressure on ourselves in terms of where to start that we don't actually read any of it. Please understand that God can use all of it. He can use every word of it. And so it's less important that we understand where to start and more important that we understand that we need to start. We actually have to start reading His Word and hearing from the Lord of Heaven who calls us to Himself and says, if you actually read My Word, you would tremble. It's amazing, isn't it? So in order to posture ourselves under the Bible, we need to know actually something about the Bible, though. We have to understand something about it in that it was written to a particular context. We aren't the first recipients of the Bible. I I hate to break that to you. Sometimes we we read it as though we were the only ones to ever read it. But it was written to specific groups of people in specific places in specific times. And so it's important for us to understand that when we read it, we we shouldn't just read it out of of its context. And oftentimes I think, and this is something to do with the way that we read it, because oftentimes we read it on our phone, and we get like the verse of the day. You know what I mean? How many of you like look at the verse of the day? It's not a bad thing to look at the verse of the day, but oftentimes we read the verse of the day and we go, okay, good, that's God's Word for me. And we never actually read around the verse of the day to see what the rest of it has to say. Everything has a context, and that context influences what is said through what we read. great example of this is, what's the most popular most quoted verse of the Old Testament. Do you know what it is? Well, Psalm 23, yes. But the most quoted single verse of the entire Old Testament. Jeremiah 29.11, exactly. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for good and not for evil, to grow you and not to harm you. How many of you have read that verse before, or heard that, or seen a poster of it? And sometimes, and so here's a good example, because we'll read a verse like Jeremiah 29.11, or we'll hear it and we'll go, yes, the Lord wants to prosper me today. Therefore, we, we think everything is going to go smoothly, without problems, because I'm going to be prosperous. And we think like prosperity for us then means like that God is going to take away the obstacles and He's going to provide for you financially and He's going to do all these wonderful things for you. And the problem is if we get to the end of the day and God has not done that, we look back at 29.11 and we go, okay, God, what gives? Obviously, your word is not true. Which causes us then not to read it the next time we need to read it. Here's the thing about verse uh, uh, Jeremiah 29.11 though. If you understood the context of what it was written to, you'd understand that Jeremiah is actually writing to the the. Israel, God's people, while they're in the midst of being in exile with the most evil nation that would existed in their day. They are in exile. They have been pulled away from God's land and they're wondering, is God still good in the midst of this? Is He still faithful to us? Does He still care about us? And God is reminding them through Jeremiah that even though they've been evil and rebelled against God, and God has used this as a way to discipline them, He has not forgotten them. And in fact, He has put them specifically within this evil nation so that as they give their lives away, as they marry and settle down and use their lives for the good of Babylon, this most evil nation, as they live to be a blessing to other people, God will continue to bless them even when it doesn't look prosperous. And so you'd read that in its context and go, man, even if I'm in a place where it seems wicked and evil, if I am agreeing with God that God has placed me here for a purpose, 
It may not look like prosperity, but God is still calling me to give my life away for the good of other people. And in doing that, in blessing them, God will bless me through the act of giving myself away. See how that changes everything? Changes absolutely everything about the way that you read Jeremiah 29.11. Then it's not just about your prosperity, but you living for the prosperity of other people and God blessing you as you bless others. Changes it, doesn't it? We have to understand the context. And so specifically, there are four types of context. Now, I'm going through this in rapid-fire succession, and I see a lot of you aren't taking notes, which is okay. And so what we're going to do actually is on the back end of this, we're going to put out something that you can actually use as you're reading through your Bible to, to hit on some of these things so that you can actually start to learn how to do them as you're reading your Bible, okay? So even if you don't write anything down, please know we're going we're gonna to follow this up with some material that you can use on a day-to-day level. But we have to understand that there's kind of four types of context. The first one is that there's a cultural context, which is to ask, what is the overall purpose for why this was written? What's going on in the world of the people who originally received this letter? Because that changes the way that you read the letter. We we went through uh, Colossians just recently. And Colossians, as you know, was written by Paul to a group of Christians that he had never met before. And so he's writing from a distance to a group of people who are under some level of persecution And primarily what he's writing them for is to encourage them and to keep them on the path and to say, hey, don't fall off it. And you can tell through the way that he's written it that he doesn't understand a lot of the particulars of what's going on in the context. But if you go and flip back a few pages and read uh, um, 1 Corinthians, how many of you have read 1 Corinthians? You'll realize there's a whole lot of detail going on And what Paul's primarily doing with that group of Christians is because he knows everything that's going on in their church and in their city, he's writing specifically to specific sins and things that they're falling short of. And so when he's writing to them, he's not going just, you know, kind of in general language. He's saying, hey, you, stop sleeping with your mother-in-law. Like, this is important. Please understand this. It changes the way that you read it because there's a cultural context. If you want a resource for doing this, actually in these Bibles that we've got, there's, um, every book has an, a little introduction to the, to the book that's, that you're about to read. So you can use that as kind of background information. If you want more than that, though, I would really recommend getting a, like a good study Bible, like an NIV or an ESV study Bible to help you understand how to do that. So you have cultural context, then you have a textual context, which is, What genre is this written in? How many of you have uh, studied literature at all? Do you read um, history the same way that you read poetry? Why not? Yeah. So if you read poetry like you read history, you're going to go, this is terrible history. It's not accurate in the least. And they seem to take all kinds of license to say certain things and to say it in a certain way. But if you read it historically when it's really poetry, you'll, never, you'll miss completely what the poet is trying to say. I don't know if you realize this about the Bible, but there's at least five different genres that the Bible is written in. And so we have to understand that it's different. Reading it, everything like poetry is going to make us miss the narrative. If we read everything like history, we're going to miss the poetry or the commandments or some of the other things that are going on. So we have to understand that it's written in different ways. Next, we have to understand that there's a certain story to the whole thing. There's a biblical context when it comes to the Bible. So we need to ask, where does this passage fit into the rest of the overall story? Where does it fit in? Because it's important not just for us to know one section, but to know our entire Bibles. Is it not? A good resource for this would be... um, a lot of our groups are going through the story-formed way or the story of God, which is a great resource for us to understand God's entire narrative. If you haven't been through that, I would really recommend, just as a group, you going through that together because it will give context to the whole thing. It's a little bit like if you were to read The Lord of the Rings and kind of jump in halfway through book two, you'd be really confused, right? You'd be like, what is going on here? What is this ring why are there a group of people trying to take it to this really bad place? 
Why are there, like, who, what's a hobbit? You know? I don't understand. You'd miss everything of the context, right? So we need to understand that there's a context. And so frequently I think that we, we look to individual passages to tell us certain things and we miss the, the context of what God is saying. So we'll read things like the Ten Commandments. And we'll read through those things and it'll say to us, don't steal and don't lie. Don't bear false witness. Don't covet other people's things. Don't murder. Honor your parents. Put God above everything else. Have no other gods before Him. And then we make that into a checklist of things that we need to do in order to feel like we're okay before God. We go, well, if this is what it looks like for me to be in relationship with God, then I've got to do all these things and do them in the correct order and with the right amount of fervor or whatever. And then if I fall off the horse, then I realize, man, I feel terrible about myself. What am I going to do? Well, I need to work even harder over and above that. And then the Ten Commandments become this weight on our shoulder where we go, how in the world can I live in a right relationship with God? How can I experience His love when I'm so worried about doing it correctly? See, the problem is if you don't read the Ten Commandments without reading Romans, you won't realize that the reason that the commandments were given was to show you that you fall short. The whole reason that God gave the commandments to us is so that we would read them and go, woe is us. We need a Savior. We cannot do this. We cannot live up to this. And, and what Paul says in Romans is, you wouldn't know what the standard was of life with God if God never revealed it to you in the first place to know that you needed a Savior. You do need a Savior. Let me introduce you to Him. See, if we don't read our entire Bibles, if we don't know the biblical narrative from beginning to end, we'll read it with isolation and we'll miss out on what God is saying to us in the broader picture. And that kind of leads to the last thing, is that there's a redemptive context. There's a a history, so to speak, because we need to learn how to read our Bibles with the intent that we actually see Jesus everywhere. And I, I think vast amounts of the church completely miss the ball on this one. So we need to ask, what is this passage saying about Jesus? How does it point to our need for Him? How do we see Him everywhere? How is He the the better King? If we're reading about David and we see David falling short, we shouldn't just ask, how can we be like David? Or how can we be better than David? But how is Jesus better than David? How is He the King that we always needed that David was not? How is Jesus the better prophet, the better priest, the better son, the better dad, the better people? How does He fulfill all of those things? The Bible is either always pointing forward to Him or talking about Him or pointing back to Him. It's one of those three things. Always. Jesus Himself said it this way. He says to the Pharisees who studied the Scriptures day and night. I mean, they knew it better than everyone. And He says this to them. You study these things diligently because you think that in them you will have eternal life. You think if if you just understand how you should live this out better, that it will bring life to you. And Jesus says, no, that's not the way. These are the very Scriptures that testify about Me, yet you refuse to come to Me to have life. So we need to know not just how to go to our Bibles, but how to go to Jesus through our Bibles. Because it's Him that we seek. It's Him who has the keys to eternal life. And we can either go to it seeking to, to kind of know what we should do or we can seek it knowing what Jesus has done for us. If you want a resource for that, one of the best ones that I know of is actually called the Jesus Storybook Bible for Kids. If you want a Bible that teaches you how to see Jesus in every page of your Bible, even if you don't have kids, I'm telling you, read the Jesus Storybook Bible and it will amaze you. It's literally Him on every page. It's the Bible that we use in, in, uh, in our family, it's the Bible that we try to use uh, around here. It's the Bible that we bought a whole bunch of to send to Haiti and use down there. It's a really great resource. So that's our posture. Humbly coming to God, asking Him to speak to us, and then learning about Him in the context in which He speaks. Secondly, we have to have a, a, 
a practice that kind of backs up our posture. And so, how do we actually read the Bible on a daily basis to, to hear what God is saying, not just generally, but to us? If you knew that God could speak directly to you through a medium, you would, you would follow that medium everywhere that you could. If you knew it was through a phone call, you would pick up the phone. If you knew it was on a certain web page, you would go to the web page. If you knew it was through a series of text messages, you would text that person and long to hear back from them. If it was your Heavenly Father who created you on the other end of those text messages, you would listen. It's here. We have it. So are we listening? And how do we listen? Well, 2 Timothy 3 actually gives us a really good pattern for how to listen to God through the Bible. So if you've never done this before, this is a, a great way to, to start to understand how to do this. It says this, All Scripture is God-breathed. It is the very inspired Word of God. And it's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, oftentimes we... I, I've done this before. I've read this list of what the the Word of God can do, and I've interpreted it as something that the Word can do from someone to someone else. So it like only applies to people that are employed to preach the Word. So preachers should preach the Word. Teachers should teach the Word because as they do, it's good for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training. But don't miss this. The Bible is actually just as competent, just as capable to do all those things as you open it and read it as much as in when I teach it to you. See, I, 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 I want to challenge you to actually believe that. Because if you find yourself coming here and listening to me more than you open the Word, I mean, I get 45 minutes to an hour to teach you through the Word. But if you're spending more time listening to me teach it to you than you reading in it, then it says that you're putting more confidence in me to do it to you than in God to do it through his word. Does that make sense? See, whatever we spend our time doing is what we're prioritizing. Whatever we prioritize is what we believe is most valuable to us. God actually has the ability to speak to us through his word for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Those are the things that the Bible does to us if we allow it to do it. And so another way to think about this is that every time that you approach the Bible, we should expect God to do those four things. We should expect Him to teach our our heads or our minds. We should expect Him to rebuke and correct our hearts. And we should expect Him to train our hands to live out what we've read. So we're going to go through those things real briefly. So let's start with teaching our heads, teaching our minds. We should expect Him to teach us new things whenever we approach His Word. We should expect to see things differently than we saw them before if it's really God who's speaking to us through it. And so a good way to do this is to start to ask four key questions as you're reading through it. We talk about these four key questions a lot. We used it in the Colossians series. But it's a great way to start to study our Bible and actually hear what God is saying to us. The first thing that we should ask is, God, what do you you want to teach me about you and about your character? In other words, who are you? Who are you? And then secondly, what are you doing in this passage? The good news is that what God does always tells you about who He is. Because God is always congruent with His character. So God, every time that you see God doing something through the Bible, you should say, what are you doing and what is this teaching me about you? A great example of this is if you reading in, in John 1 and you see that the Word of God comes, the Word was God, and, and the Word of God comes and is made flesh and dwells among us, that you'd go, man, God came near. He drew near to us. He sent His best for us. What does that tell you about God? If if God comes in human form through His Son, 
literally to this earth. What does that tell you about him? You can go ahead and answer. What's that tell you about what he's like? Yeah, he wants to, he's not withholding his best from us. He's a good father who gives the best gift he could possibly give. He gave his son for us. What else does that tell you about him? He doesn't just do things haphazardly, but he sends his son, which is the best that he had, and he passionately loves us. Passionately loves you. So as you're reading that, you get to ask that question and go, God, what is this showing me about what you're like? You love me deeply. You set your best for me. You draw near to me. If, if you're in, and it's not just in that place, but think about it in terms of other places like Leviticus. How many of you just love reading Leviticus? Talk about, I mean, here's what often happens in Leviticus. You get all the, the kind of rules and regulations of Israel as a people. And, and it's easy for us to read something like that and go, this doesn't tell me anything. It doesn't tell me anything about God. It doesn't tell me anything about me. And yet, actually, if you were to read through all of that and realize how detailed in the instruction that God is, just in terms of His temple, like the place where they were going to set up for them to experience God's presence, and God wants them to know, here's exactly how big the bricks should be. Here's exactly where to get the wood. Here's how, how wide to build it and how long to build it and how high it should be. Here's how many lampstands it should have. Here's how to light those lampstands. Here's where to get the wax. I mean, like, incredible amounts of detail. And you go, what in the world does this tell us about God? Well, it tells us that He cares incredibly about the details of life, doesn't He? And that He actually wants what we create in terms of of the, the things that represent Him to show exactly what He's like. Gosh, maybe God is like that not just with a building, but with creation. Maybe we look at the mountains and the streams and the the clouds and the the trees and everything that God created and go, wow, God, if if you wanted us to create a building that expressed what you're like with that much detail, how much more detail is written into everything that's created that shows exactly what you're like? So you can look out at the rest of creation and go, man, if God cares about the details and wants everything to show what He's like, how much more can I experience Him on my commute to work? See how we can miss those details if we don't ask what God is like. And then, don't just ask what God is like and what He's done. We should ask, what does God say we are? In other words, who are we? What is our identity? So in John 1, if God draws near to us through Jesus, then we should understand, wow, we are loved. We are really loved. That God would care so much about us that He would send His best. And then it says, and the world that God created didn't even receive Him when He came to its doorstep. The world forgot about God. The world didn't even know that God was there when God came in bodily form. And what that should tell us about us is that oftentimes we forget about Him. And yet, even in our forgetfulness about who God is, God still cares about us enough to send Himself to us. I mean, that should tell you that like, even if you forget to pick up your Bible and read it, God's grace is still on you and He's still pursuing you. So don't walk away from this feeling guilty that you don't do something. Walk away from this going, wow, God loves me enough that even if I don't read this tomorrow morning, He still loves me, still cares for me, still pursues me, still died for me, still saved me. And every chance, every day is a new opportunity to receive the mercy and the grace of God even when I forget Him. And then last, we should ask, if we believe this, how would we live? What would I do with this text if I really did believe this is what God is like and this is who I am? Sometimes that will be really obvious to us and we'll read a verse that says like, as dearly beloved children of God love one another. We'll go, okay. If I believed this, I would love one another. Like we would love each other. I would love. There might be other parts where, where it's not so obvious. So in the case of Leviticus, if you're reading along in that, It'd be easy to skip over that and go, I don't know what to do with this information. But what if you thought, like, if I believed that the temple 
was God's, like where God was going to dwell. And then I know the story of God and I realize that later on in the story, God makes us the temple. He makes our hearts the temple by which He dwells in. He comes and lives in us just like He lived in that place. Wow, God must care about the way that I take care of my body if that's the case. He must actually care about what I put into my body. Both the food that I put into my body and what I take in through my eyes. If God really lived in my heart, I would take seriously the care of my body just like they took care of the care of the temple. So oftentimes, though, I think we stop there. We, we have a, a Bible study. We read through it. We go, wow, that teaches some really great things. And then we close it and we walk away. And here's what I would encourage you. The Bible isn't just good for teaching. It's good for rebuking and correcting too. And so we shouldn't just be people that stop with, when our minds are full and then walk away with our hearts being unaffected by it. God actually wants the heart and not just our minds. It's through the heart that we actually show that we believe Him. And so He corrects and rebukes our hearts as well. And so we shouldn't just ask, what does this say? But we should be asking, God, as I'm looking at Your Word, show me any place that I'm not living by faith. Show me anywhere that I'm not trusting You, that I'm not believing what You say is true of me in Christ. Show that to me specifically. Reveal that to my heart. And Hebrews 4 says He actually will. That nothing is hidden from His sight. And that He uses His Word to actually cut into who You are and He can reveal it to You. See, I think sometimes that's why we avoid God's Word. We know that He'll do this. But I just want to encourage you, we need Him to do it. We need God to tell us where we're in rebellion and where we're walking away from Him and where we don't believe Him. And so we should ask, where does... Where does my behavior show me where I don't believe what I'm reading? If, if what I'm reading says, God is love because He came and sent His Son for me, therefore I should love others, don't just go, well, that's really good applicational stuff. I should consider doing that. Go, no, do I actually believe that God loves me enough to send His Son for me? Convict me of where I don't believe that. Convict me of where I may be looking to other people and other things or myself to gain that kind of love that only You can give for me. Show me where I'm believing this. And give thanks to Him when you, sh- when you see evidence in your heart of you actually believing. Because that's a process of God giving you His Spirit to actually um, live out what you're reading. It wasn't from you. So if you're reading, love one another, and you think of specific examples of ways that you've maybe loved others that day or that week, then thank God that He actually gave you the ability to do it because it came from Him and not from you. But then also ask, where does my behavior show me where I don't yet believe? Reveal it to me. I don't want to pretend. I want to know the truth about my life and about the condition of my heart. And by the way, when you do this, Keep a journal open and write down whatever he says. See, James says that we aren't to be people that open God's Word and then walk away from it and forget what He told us. That we're to be doers of God's Word. And so when He speaks, agree with God that you'll actually uh, understand and implement what He's telling you to do. See, and here's what happens. When God rebukes us of something, when He... uh, confronts us with with something that might not be correct in our hearts, uh, He leads us to correction. See, God He doesn't just want to condemn you for ways that you're not living the life that He intended for you to live. He actually wants to empower you to live it differently. And so rebuke should actually lead to correction. So if rebuke is, here's where you've gotten off the path, then correction is, here's how to get back on the right path again. Here's how to believe the right things again. And so correction, if you submit to it, will always lead to repentance. So you'll hear God specifically say, you've believed this lie about me. You believed that I wasn't loving. You believed that I abandoned you. You believed that I don't care about you or that I don't care about the details. You believe that I I don't uh, have a plan for you and for your body and the way that you care for yourself even. 
Now let me lead you to believe what's actually true so that you can repent and believe something different. And then submit to what is true of what I've done for you. And so we, can, we get to ask, God, where in my life does it reveal that I'm not walking in light of what's true about you? And here's the thing. When you ask that question, when you ask God, reveal it to my heart, make it known to me so that you could correct it in me, here's been my experience. He does. He does. Specifically, appropriately, every single time. God longs that we should actually know who He is. It's His will for us. He wants you to know that. And He does not want you to remain in a place of condemnation either. And so if you think, man, I couldn't do this process because if I did, then I'd just feel shame and terrible about myself. No, if, you, if that's where you're left, you've missed the whole thing. God actually brings about rebukes so that He can lead you to correction so that you'd thank Him for the life that you now get to live because of His work in you. And then lastly, that should lead from our heads into our hearts and then finally to our hands. And the, the Word of God is good for training our hands up in righteousness. And that this, this, is God's, this is our response to God's Word, saying, I want to obey what you've revealed to me through your Word. I actually want to live differently because of what I've heard from you. See, righteousness is just living the life that God intended you and I to live. It's living the way that we should live. And the Gospel sets us free to live a life that we couldn't apart from God. And so we should be people that are asking constantly, what is that way? And then how do I now walk in it? What does it look like for me to actually start to live this out? So at the end of your Bible study, you should always be asking, what did you teach me about you and about what you do and about me? What did you reveal and confront in my heart? How did you correct me? And then we should ask, how are you calling me to practice this in everyday life? What's, what's one way, God, today that I can actually implement what you've said for me to do? Just give me one thing. See, every time you read God's Word, He's going to call you to step out in faith in something. Be generous to this person. Use your resources for them. Call your neighbor and ask for forgiveness because you were kind of a jerk last week. Be honest with your spouse about this thing because you haven't been really honest with them. Go and love this person because they feel lonely. Go and do this because I'm leading you to do it by your Spirit. He will call you to step out in faith in something when you read His Word. Anticipate Him doing that. See, training our hands is saying, train me to obey what you said to do so that I'll grow in my ability to live the kind of life that you want me to live. The life, a life that's empowered by your Spirit to live only the way that you can live. See, and, I, and I'll say this, Repentance has not happened yet if you haven't been obedient to what you've been called to do. It has not happened. See, and oftentimes I think we read God's Word, we get convicted about something, but we never change the way that we live based on what God is calling us to. And if that's the case, and, and oftentimes we can do that over and over and over and over and over again. And God actually instructs us through His Scripture, don't... Don't continue to listen to my word and not do what I say because actually in you doing that, you will harden your heart to what I have to tell you. You'll actually become less able to hear me when I speak to you if you're not living out what I'm actually saying to you when you listen to me. You won't know his voice. See, oftentimes I, I think we say to ourselves, well, I don't get much out of my Bible reading. And my question in response to you is, when's the last time you obeyed what you read? See, it's a tougher question, right? Because oftentimes when we hit something that we may not like, we just keep reading rather than asking God to convict us and maybe lead us and train us to do what we've already read. So teach me about you. Teach my mind about you. Correct my heart in any way that it's away from you. And then train me to live differently. I'm confident, actually, if you started to implement this, it would change everything. 
about the way that you read the Bible. And God would actually begin to speak to you. So here's my encouragement to you. If you haven't experienced him uh, leading you in this way in some time, just begin. Just begin to do it. Trust that he's able to do it through you. And, and, and trust him enough to start doing it. Even if you say, I, I'm, I'm probably going to screw it up. Like, I'm probably not going to do it well. I'm going to miss some of the steps that Jay talked about. It's not gonna, like, I, I'm going to fail at this. Fine. Good. Fail forward, right? Just do it and fail and then try again. We have a gracious God, do we not? Who loves us and cares for us enough to give us his word. And even if we read it wrongly, he can still speak to us through it. Um, I just want to challenge you um, with this as we end and we come uh, to the word together. I'm going to read through Second uh, Timothy 3 again. All scripture is God-breathed. All Scripture is God-breathed. God inspires it for you. He wants you to know about Himself. He wants you to know about His Word. He wants you to know about yourself. He doesn't want those things to be hidden from you. He, he wants to breathe His Word into you. Do you believe that this morning? And His Word is useful for teaching you. It's useful for giving you a new mind. And it's useful for rebuking and correcting you, giving you a new heart. And it's useful for training you up in righteousness so that you'd live a new life. How many of you want to live the life that God saved you to live? Do you want that for yourself? I desperately want that. See, it's so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If we want to be equipped for the work that God calls us to do, if we want to be equipped for the life that God calls us to live, He's given us a resource to do that. Thank God that we have that. Father, we love You. And we thank You that uh, You love us enough to give us instruction. You love us enough to make us part of a story that's incredible. And I pray, God, that You'd convict us maybe in our own hearts that we haven't uh, come to that story enough to know what it means for us. Pray, God, that you'd lead us to uh, making it our desire to hear from you. And so, God, even as we come around the tables this morning, I pray that uh, we would realize that because of the blood of Jesus shed for the forgiveness of our sins, that you do not hold anything against us. And so regardless of what our track record has been before you, God, you understand, you know, and help us to believe that it's Jesus' track record that gives us our standing before you. And we can come to the table this morning and be forgiven of anything that we've done or everything that we've not done. I also thank you that Jesus' body was broken for us. He was the Word of God given for us. And His body was broken on our behalf so that in Him, as your people... By your Spirit, we can live new lives and hear from you and see our lives changed as a product of listening to your Word. So just as we come this morning, I pray that you'd bring those things to our mind. Give us the confidence that we can listen to you, God, and give us the ability to come.